episode 105 of the Divorce Resource Guy podcast. Today, we're going to talk about what are you going to do with the biggest asset you probably own, the marital home. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, aka the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now, your host, Jason Lavoy. Welcome, welcome to episode 105, ladies and gentlemen, 105 and plugging along. Today, I have a great guest for you. His name is Jeff Landers. He's a seasoned divorce and real estate mortgage expert with over 40 years of combined experience. Jeff uh, founded a Bedrock Divorce Advisors LLC where he was working exclusively with women going through a financially complicated divorce. Since 2010, he's helped hundreds of people throughout the USA with the financial aspects of their divorce. Now, since the marital home is often one of the largest assets in most divorces, Jeff also founded the Next Act Properties, Inc., which provides real estate and mortgage solutions for divorcing and divorced people. You can learn more about them at nextactproperties.com. He's written seven, yes, seven published books with over 50,000 copies sold nationwide, where he's focused on financial aspects of divorce, the marital home, as well as contributing articles regularly to Forbes.com, Huffington Post, Daily Worth, More.com, Lawyers.com. I can go on and on. He's the go-to expert for financial aspects of divorce for women. Um, All right. Let's get right to it, everybody. Let's talk to Jeff Landers and figure out what we're doing with the marital home. Jeff, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on. Thank you so much, Jason. So for those who are not super familiar with you, give us give everybody a, just a little bit of a brief history about you know who you are, what you do, and then how you got to this point in life. Well, um, for the last 12 years or so, I've been working as a divorce financial advisor. I'm a CDFA, which is a certified divorce financial analyst. I'm also a CDLP, which is a certified divorce lending professional. I'm a licensed real estate broker. I'm a licensed mortgage broker. Um, So basically, I work uh, with divorcing people. and, And right now, especially focused on the marital home, what to do with the marital home, uh, you know, in in divorce. Um, just going back, uh, you know, to the Jurassic period, I'm a graduate of uh, Columbia University, have a BA in psychology. I attended uh, Pace University Law School. I'm proud to say that I'm a law school dropout. So. <laughs> you made a good choice. Uh, that, that's what a lot of lawyers tell me. So, um, but yeah, I mean, my favorite uh, course was contracts, which obviously come well into play, you know, when you're reviewing, you know, divorce settlement agreements uh, and all of those things. I have an extensive background in real estate, worked in commercial real estate literally for decades, uh, was a financial advisor for a short period of time with Wells Fargo Advisors where that's really where I got into the divorce niche because I had several clients um, that were going through a divorce and all of a sudden the light bulb went off off in my head. And I said, wow, what a great way to differentiate myself from every other financial advisor that's saying the same thing about, you know, retirement and this, that, and the other thing. Um, 
And in 2010, I started uh, Bedrock Divorce Advisors, which exclusively worked for women going through financially complicated divorces. Uh, now I started this new company, Next Act Properties, again, which focuses on uh, the marital home and, and provides real estate and mortgage solutions for divorcing and divorced people. Wow. Yeah. You have, a, I would say, quite the extensive background indeed. Um, you've done almost, I feel like you've done a little bit of everything almost. Well, and, and, and this book that we're going to talk about today is actually my seventh book on divorce. So I have six other books uh, that focus on the financial aspects of divorce for women. Uh, but this one, the new book is, is totally focused on uh, the marital home. Right. On top of the list of everything that you just uh, gave us all, accomplished author is on that too, right? Yes. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> Absolutely. So let's get right into it. Um, the new book is called Divorce House Sense. Um, and we'll tell everybody where they can uh, find it at the end here. Um, but there's a, a few things. I thought it was a great book. Um, and as a, a an attorney myself who practiced divorce, uh, law for years. I am, you know, familiar with everything that you you have in this book because I dealt with them, you know, in the cases. Um, and, and the house is right. Usually, the biggest asset that you're dealing with in a divorce. Um, and what I wanted to touch on with you and and have you go into a little bit, if you don't mind, is this idea because it. I, I still hear it often, and even with my coaching clients. Um, mm -hmm. I'm actually dealing with this issue right now where they're contemplating co-owning the home after the divorce. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so in your book, you say that's a terrible idea. Explain that to me. Um, and I guess we should start off by kind of defining what that means, co-owning the home after the divorce. Well, that, that, that means you continue to, own it together as, as opposed to, you know, selling it as part of the divorce process or one spouse keeping the home and buying out the other for a variety of reasons, you decide to continue to own it together. So basically now you're divorced, but you're still partners. Um, right. Because you own this huge asset, which as you said, might conceivably be the largest uh, or one of the largest assets in, in, in divorce. The problem with that is, you know, people get divorced for a reason, okay? Either they didn't get along or there were financial issues or there were a lack of communication or, uh, you know, there was cheating. Uh, you know, there's a whole variety of reasons, as you know, why people get divorced. So if, if you weren't able to get along during the term of your marriage, why do you think now post-divorce you can effectively be partners, okay? You have different interests, um, different financial interests. Maybe one or both partners are in a new relationship. You've got this huge asset with a lot of conceivably equity tied up in it. Um, at some point or other, you, most people will come to loggerheads. Um, what happens if the roof has to be replaced? Who's going to pay for that? I mean, ideally, you would say, okay, your co-owners, you know, let's do it, you know, 50-50. What happens if one spouse doesn't have the money to do that? What happens if the other spouse decides to renovate the kitchen and the bathrooms and put money in um, that increases the value of the house? How does that get divided? It wouldn't be fair to divide the equity. 
So there's so many issues surrounding the home, even when you ultimately decide, okay, what if you can't agree on a real estate broker? What if you can't agree on a price? What happens if it doesn't sell and one person wants to drop the price by, you know, 10 or $20,000 and the other ex-spouse says, no, I don't want to do that. I want to get, you know, maximum value. So there's so many issues um, that I think it could come up. And, and as an attorney, you know, when you put that divorce settlement agreement together, now you've got to write an extra 10 pages in, in the settlement agreement to try to cover almost every what if scenario, which you know is impossible to do because things sometimes come from left field that you didn't think about it. Uh, what happens if, you know, like we may be in right now, a real estate <clears throat> recession um, and prices dip? One partner wants their money. The other one says, no, let's wait a year and see how things go and sell it then. So yep. I, I think there's so many issues that either, you know, sell it and be done with it, or if it's possible to have one spouse keep it, buy out the other uh, and move on with your lives. I mean, I mean, the whole purpose of a divorce is to untangle yourself from each other, especially. For, I mean, once you take care of the kids and everything, sure, it's all about the money. So you want to untangle yourself financially. And if you continue to co-own the home, you're you're still, you know, joined at the hip. Yep, you're involved. And it's so true. You know, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it takes a special dynamic uh, uh and special people to to do that type of an arrangement after the divorce is finalized you know i could maybe count uh easily uh, on less than one hand how many right. times I, i've done that in my career um because like you said it's just sticky why do you want to put yourself in a situation where it's more likely than not something's going to happen and you're going to butt heads and then you know, 10 pages, I would, my settlement agreements could be 80 pages. Um, right. And, and half of that, like you said, was coming up and putting in provisions um, for how you're going to sell the marital home, whenever that's going to be, whether it's right after the divorce or five years right. later, right. You know, choosing the realtor, how are you going to find the price? What are you going to do if it doesn't sell right away? Exactly. Yeah. You know, everything that you could think of, it makes you nauseous when you think about it. Um, right. But you I don't care who you are or what what attorney you're working with, you can't think of everything, right? Exactly. My and and so we we put in the boilerplate stuff that we know uh, can be problematic, um, and that happens more often than not. But there's always going to be something that crops up that can't be foreseen. So and, and that presents the problem. You're still tied together, um, and so the odds are you're going to end up in additional litigation, whether it's you know hiring attorneys, going to court, filing motions. Even if you agree to go to a mediator, you're still paying to do that. Um, well, well, and well, first you're paying for you, both attorneys now to go through these extra 10, 15, 20 pages to deal with the home. So yep. both sides, you know, and, and you know, you're in New Jersey, New York. I mean, you know, attorneys are getting six, seven hundred dollars an hour for each attorney. That adds up very, very quickly to go back and forth. Uh, and and do all of this. And as you said, um, nobody could think of everything. And, and something that's also important that most people don't realize, typically when you're married, the title is, you know, the deed is it's tenants by the entirety. Okay, once you divorce, now you're tenants in common. 
Right. Okay. So you're bringing one, me back to will trust in the state's law school. Well, exactly. Right. So one one party could actually sell it to somebody else. All of a sudden, you know, un, unless the settlement agreement forbids that, or you know, you need the consent of the other party to sell your interest in it. But the next thing you know, you know, maybe somebody cashed out, and all of a sudden now you have a partner you don't even know who they are. You know, they're tenants in common with you. Right. I mean, things happen that you, again, can't foresee or wouldn't foresee. Um, and, and it's not necessarily I'm not suggesting that one side are, is trying to be, you know, sinister in it, but they might not even foresee, you know, the opportunity to sell their interest to somebody. Right. But things happen. Life happens. And you're right. Unless you cover, you know, dot every I and cross every T, which is impossible. Right. Um, you're just you're creating more opportunity for for expensive issues that you have to deal with. So, so, so the bottom line is don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't do it. We, we, I think we've come to an agreement that that's not such a good idea. So right. what are the options, right? The options, um, if you're not going to co-own after the divorce, uh, there's a few of them, you know, buying each other out, we'll go over right. them and, and explain like the pros and cons of each one. Okay. So, so, you know, one, the easy solution is uh, you sell the house. Okay. Um, and, and again, depending on, you know, your divorce situation, you would probably want to use a real estate broker that's experienced in dealing with divorce and dealing with divorce attorneys. Uh, because if it's a contentious divorce, and I, I've had this experience with, with a bunch of my clients, um, one spouse is trying to screw up the deal. You know, they have an open house and the other spouse comes and disrupts things or they change the locks on the door or they do this or they do that. Um, your typical real estate broker is not used to this kind of stuff or, or if it's an abusive situation and they're restraining orders and what happens. Right. So, you know, you it's a good idea to have a, a real estate broker uh, that's either hopefully credentialed because there are credentials, uh, certified divorce, uh, you know, real estate agent, a CDRE um, th that has experience in not only dealing with these type of issues. And again, you know, in, in your typical sale, you usually you have a happy couple, right? We're, sell we're selling our house. We're making a lot of money. We're buying something else. Everybody's on the same page. Right. Now you have two people that are not on the same page, might not even be talking to each other. Uh, and the real estate broker is, is, is the neutral in the middle of all of this. And they can show preference for one spouse so over, over the other. Um, they have to have good communication. And if something goes awry, um, you know, this real estate broker needs in a position maybe to sit down with with, you know, the attorney or there may even be cases where one spouse is really out of line that maybe even the real estate broker might have to testify in court. So, yeah, yeah. Now you're talking about. Right. It's, it's stuff that you don't want to get involved in. Right. Um, if you don't have to. And it always, you know, it always kind of astonished me that, you know, if you're going to sell the marital home. You know, meaning you're going to sell it, split the proceeds uh, if there are any. Um, why one party would want to sabotage that? Because there's they're just um, spite, Vindic spite, right? But, but <laughs> what's the phrase? Just they're putting the foot in the mouth. Uh, is that the one I'm thinking of? You know, putting themselves in the foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. 
Right. Or cutting off their nose to spite their face. Exactly. Because, you know, they're they're just holding up their portion of the the profits if there, you know, hopefully are some. So it just it always astonished me, though, that it's amazing how emotions can take over somebody's life. Um, And that's what I tell people, you know, it's hard, but uh, you got to separate out the emotions from the business at hand of getting divorced Uh, and, and dealing with the house, selling the house. Uh, or whatever you're going to do with it is the business of the divorce. Right. right? And, but, but people are vindictive and people, you know, are emotional. And, uh, you know, some people have the attitude, I'd rather screw things up than see he, him or her, you know, get their share or, or, or whatever. I mean, it happens. You, you and I, you know, all the time. Yeah. Those cases. Um, so again, so that's one option. And, you know, my suggestion would be to have a real estate, you know, broker that's experienced in dealing with these kind of situations. And of course, that's a good broker knows how to negotiate a deal, you know, can help you get the highest price possible. I mean, all the things you would normally look for in a real estate broker, but then you need these additional things. Exactly. Um, the, The other scenario, uh, is one spouse keeps the home, uh, buys out the other spouse's share of the equity. Um, But then in most cases, they're going to have to go and refinance the mortgage. Because the the out spouse, the spouse that's leaving, that's not keeping the home, doesn't want to be obligated on a mortgage for a property they're not going to own anymore. Uh, And that may handicap that spouse from buying a new property because if they're still obligated now, now there are ways to, to, to get around that. Uh, and, and you could do it in the divorce settlement agreement that, uh, you know, the spouse that's keeping the home, uh, you know, assumes all responsibility and, you know, will pay everything. And, and there are ways to put the correct language in the settlement agreement. So maybe for the other spouse, it won't be included in their, DTI, the debt to income ratio. Right. So there are ways to get around that. But the reality is, is if the person keeping the home misses a payment, both of their credit reports get dinged. Right. Because you're still, you're legally attached. Exactly. Exactly. And and so, so right. And and in that scenario, or I should say that scenario happens more often uh, than not when there are minor children involved. Exactly. You're it's looking to keep the them. woman that, that wants to keep the home, has custody of the children, doesn't want to take them out of school. Or right. You're keeping the right. same school district. Yep. Right, right, right. Uh, usually until they go to college or after and then right. And then maybe they'll they'll sell then. But that's the reasoning behind it. So right. and I didn't mean to interrupt you. But so right. So let's say we're going in that scenario um, now we'll just use for today's example, the wife and the kids uh, staying in the house. And you know now what has to happen, right? She has to refinance. Well, the first thing is, is you got to figure out the other assets. You know, what's, what's the value of the home now? And I always advise, get a real appraisal, you know, don't go to Zillow and, uh, you, you, you know, Zillow couldn't do it themselves. I mean, they stopped doing their iBuyer, you know, <laughs> scenarios because they were losing hundreds of millions of dollars because they screwed up their own estimates. So I wouldn't rely on a Zillow. I would get a real appraisal. It's not that expensive, five, six, seven hundred bucks. Right. Find out what the property's worth now. And then from that, you deduct, you know, whatever mortgage obligation, the balance of your mortgage, if there are any other liens, whatever, and that gives you the equity. Okay. And then typically 
it's a, it's 50-50, as you know, not always, but let's assume 50-50. So if the equity is 200,000, it's gonna take 100,000 to buy out the other spouse. Where's that money coming from? Obviously, right. the bank accounts, if they're retirement accounts, if there's a stock portfolio, that might be easier to do and just, you know, as part of the division of, of, of the assets. Now, there, there are other ways that could be worked out. So let's say, you know, the spouse keeping the home was to get a certain amount of alimony. You know, maybe that amount could be reduced to cover, you know, the, you know, the share of the equity. But the spouse keeping the home has to have enough what's called qualified income to be able to refinance. Okay. And what you may consider income is not necessarily what a mortgage lender will. So talk about that for a second. What What is qualified income and what would a, a mortgage lender consider uh, income? In so that I'll give you two very good common uh, examples. So you're receiving alimony. Okay. So you think, okay, I'm getting X thousands of dollars per month or whatever the number is. Okay. The first thing is in most scenarios, you had to have consistently received that money for six months prior to even applying for the loan. Okay. They want to know that you've been receiving that on a consistent on-time basis every month for at least six months. The lender, the lender wants to know. The lender wants. Yeah. yeah. And then it has to continue for at least 36 months thereafter. So we're talking 42 months. Mm. So if somebody's getting alimony and let's say the agreement is for three years, well, if you had to have it six months prior, okay, now you're down to 30 months. Okay, it's not going to continue for 36 months. So you have to make sure that as this is being negotiated between the spouses, uh, if they're going to try to refinance or or even get a new mortgage, because this is applicable, if you know they sell the home and they're both going out, uh, you know, to buy you know a condo or something smaller or whatever, um, it's it's going to be the same scenario. So so they have to have received it for six months prior, and it has to continue for at least thirty six months thereafter as far as alimony for child support okay same scenario six months prior 36 years thereafter now the age of emancipation in in new jersey is what 18 or 21 well there actually isn't a uh, strict number it's a uh, it's a fact sensitive analysis i won't bore everybody with now but usually it's after college Oh, okay. So let's say I'm in Florida. It's 18. I know when I was in New York, it was 21. So let's uh, let, let, let's use Florida, um, the age of 18 as an example. Okay. So you have a child that's now 16 years old. Okay. In two years, they're going to be 18, which is the, the age of emancipation. Child support's going to end at that point. You're not right. going to have that three years of continuance, which means that amount of money will not count. So you may think, wait a second, I'm getting X amount of dollars for my alimony. I'm getting X amount of, uh, you know, for, for child support. So I've got more than enough to, you know, support the payments for my new, you know, mortgage. Well, wrong, because if your kid is 16 and they're going to be emancipated at 18, you've only got two years. That's not going to count. If, if you have alimony for 36 months, 
but you need the six months prior and 36 months after, none of your alimony is going to count. So those are important things to know upfront while you're negotiating. So, you know, to bring in someone that's competent um, in this area, as far as doing this mortgage planning, you want to know upfront what the situation is so that someone like myself can help negotiate the deal with the divorce attorney saying, okay, if you need X amount of a mortgage right now, depending on what, and of course, interest rates have been changing sometimes on an hourly basis now, right? you make certain assumptions and say, okay, I need, you know, four grand a month, you know, for, for the principal and interest payment and for taxes and for home insurance. And if you have a homeowners association and whatever, let's say it's four grand a month, you got to work backwards to say, okay, if I'm going to be able to do that, okay, how much alimony am I going to need? How much child support? Okay, maybe it's more than the other spouse is willing to give up when then you could wheel and deal and say, look, you know, instead of splitting the retirement account 50-50, we could do a 60-40. I mean, there, as you know, there are a lot of ways to, to skin the cat on that. Yeah, that, that, that's so true. Um, and, and good attorneys and other professionals like yourself are, are creative in, in coming up with those ways. You know, and, and you said, um, you said something that stuck with me. And this is what I also preach, you know, is after your, your settlement agreement is drafted, signed, and your divorce is finalized, it's too late. It's right. too late to do these things and then say, oh, I wish I could have changed the language. You got to do it while you're in involved in the negotiation process and the drafting of the agreement, um, which is why you want to surround, identify the right people, objective professionals to to have on your team. And so in this case, if you're if you think you're going to stay in the marital home and refinance um, a mortgage professional, somebody like yourself, um, a financial professional who understands the dynamics of refinancing in a divorce, you want to involve these people early on in the process so that they can help you and guide you on what you what your attorney will want to negotiate as far as the the provisions of the settlement agreement, right? Because it all matters. That, that, um, that's true, and it's not only for a refinance. I mean, if if you sell the home, as I said before, and you want to go out and buy something new, and you need a mortgage. All the things we just spoke about, okay, is going to be applicable, uh, you know, for qualified income. Now, of course, if somebody has a job and they're making, you know, two hundred thousand dollars a year, as 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 you know, you don't even have to disclose that you're getting alimony or right. support. You don't need it if if you want to and it's needed for this. If you have sufficient other income, you never have to mention to anybody. In fact, it's illegal for them to ask you, you know, if, if you're, you know getting child support or, or, or alimony. Right. Um, and the other point that I wanted to make of, you know, where it makes sense to bring someone in early. Okay. You want to know if this is even possible, if one of the spouses wants to keep the home. Okay. Is this a pipe dream or is it possible? I mean, why go back and forth and spend all the legal expenses and the time negotiating to keep the house and buy out the other spouse and yeah, I'm going to do a refinancing, whatever, when, you know, if we look at all the scenarios and go, it's just not going to happen. It doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. So don't waste your time. Don't waste all the money on legal expenses going back and forth on something that most probably is not going to happen. You know, let's address other scenarios, whether it's selling the house or 
you know, I, I've spoken in the, in, the, in the book about some creative ways to, to you know, possibly keep the home uh, if you can't qualify for a refinancing. But, you know, better to know upfront whether this is reality or, or it's, a, it's a hope and a wish. Right. And that's an easier um, process to investigate and come to a conclusion on than, than everything we just talked about. Um, so you want to write, don't, you don't want to put the cart before the horse. We're full of analogies today. But, right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, right, so right, A, can you afford to stay in the home? That's right. that's question number one. If it's not even going to be close, or you, it's just not going to happen, then you're not going to spend the time trying to figure out, right. you know, the language in the settlement agreement or what type of refinance you want to do, and all the other things that your book is about. So I agree with that. You gotta you gotta understand what your options are first, and then you could explore how to achieve those options, right? Exactly. Well, Jeff, this was really. I mean, I said this to you off the air right before we started the. The tip of the iceberg. Oh, yeah. um, we could do this for hours. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and so I'm going to have to have you on, I think, to, to talk about some other things, um, you know, about the, the house and dealing with the house in a divorce. Um, but before we end, tell everybody where they can get a copy of this book, because I think they should read it. Okay. Well, the paperback and the Kindle is available on Amazon, so, so you could get it there. Uh, you could also go to my website, nextactproperties.com forward slash book. Um, and there you could get the PDF. Uh, some people, you know, they might be in a situation where they haven't even told the other spouse that they're thinking about a divorce. So you don't, you don't really want Amazon to deliver a book <laughs> that has anything to do with divorce if you haven't, you know, had this discussion uh, with your spouse. So that would be a conversation starter. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. And I've had a, a number of situations where people have been in abusive situations where obviously that's not going to work. So, you know, they want the PDF coming to, you know, their secret email or, yep. or whatever. Uh, so, so, you know, we make sure to have, uh, you know, my books available on my website as a PDF. But, you know, if, if you don't have that kind of issue, you could just go to Amazon, get the paperback version, get the Kindle version. Yeah. And again, for everybody uh, listening, um, and if you're watching, you'll see I have the, the book right here. It's called Divorce House Sense. Um, it's great. There's so much uh, golden nuggets in here that if you're going to, if you're in a divorce or you're thinking about it, I think it's a must read. So Jeff, thank you so much for sharing and oh, being on the show. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Another one in the books, as they say. I hope you found that informative and learned a little something about you know, all the different ways to skin that cat when it has to do with the marital home. Uh, it's not one size fits all, and you got to talk to the right professional to figure out all your options. Now, if you're looking for help with your divorce, please reach out to me, Jason at jasonlavoy.com. I offer group coaching and one-on-one -on -one divorce coaching services. I'd be happy to answer any questions, even get on the phone with you for a complimentary strategy call to see how I may be able to help. Also, if you like the podcast, please take a moment, leave a nice review. It really helps spread the word and it would be much appreciated. Other than that, in the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoy, aka The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you real soon. Yeah.